and Steve on Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Happy Saturday, everybody. This is Arizona Sports Saturday. It's your weekend stop for live and local sports talk. And I always love a day like today, Steve. You know why? Why? Because we get news fresh out of the gate on a Saturday to kick things off. Don't you love that? I'll take it. So what was it it, a month ago or so you came on and minutes before there was the report from Sean Sharania about Bradley Beal, right? (laughs) Yeah. When he tweeted out that it was a possibility that Bradley Beal would either end up in Miami or Phoenix. And then he mentioned Phoenix twice in that tweet. We had a full two hours on that. You have to mention Phoenix multiple times to imply that, hey, Phoenix is really important when I'm putting out this report because I want Phoenix people to talk about it. And that's what they're going to do. That's what you did for two straight hours. I did. Yeah. Granted, the news that we got to start today is not going to carry us for a full two hours, but Steve and I figured, and with the assistance of Jesse, who's behind the glass today, we figured that this is something that we should at least lead with, and that is something that we kind of already knew, but now feels confirmed. More official. Here's from Adam Schefter of ESPN. He tweeted about an hour ago that Cardinals Pro Bowl safety Buda Baker, who did not get the trade request he requested this offseason, but still is seeking to be paid near the top of the safety market, is expected to report to training camp with the rest of his teammates this Tuesday. Yay. Yeah, so my initial reaction, this is exactly what we expected to happen. Yes. Uh, This is kind of a know-nothing tweet in a lot of ways. I think most Cardinals fans know that Buda Baker, he almost feels like he's too nice to sit out to me. Like he he's not that kind of guy to sign a contract that says, I'm going to do this job for you. You're going to compensate me and then not do it. Like, it's almost like sitting out is just not in Buda Baker's blood. Um, But here we are. And this is exactly what I thought would happen. Buda Baker expected to show up for camp the way that he's always said he would, the way that we always expected that he would. I expect to see him at camp. Now, the bigger question is probably, will he participate? Will he practice? Will he play with the rest of the guys? Or will he just be standing on the sidelines supporting the team? That's probably a more important question. And that was something a colleague of ours, Howard Balzer, brought up on his Twitter account today. And if you think back to, what is it, voluntary camp, the voluntary veterans camp, where it's like, you don't have to be there, but if you're there, everybody talks about how you were there. And if you're not there, everybody talks about, why weren't you there? What is going on? Right, yeah. you know, so, Overblown both directions. Yeah, taking yeah. the term voluntary a little too literally. Um This is different, though, because if he's going to be there, he obviously avoids getting fined. But he was at the voluntary camp. He was there. Wasn't doing anything. Wasn't out on the practice field for any of the uh, reporters to see during the open portions of those camps. It's probably going to be the same thing this time around because we all really know what Buda Baker wants. Because he has no guaranteed money left on his contract. Yeah, it's hard to imagine Buda Baker standing on a football field. And not being in full pads and playing. Right. You know what I mean? Like yeah. him him in street clothes standing on the sideline just doesn't really compute for me. And I don't think it would for his teammates either. Well, I mean, the dude had a high ankle sprain and refused to come out of the game and basically played the rest of the season. Remember during Hard Knocks? He, what, what was it? What was the injury he had during the Hard Knocks episode that was all about him? I mean, it was the high ankle sprain, right? Was that the high? Okay, maybe Pretty it was. Sure. And he played the whole game. Yeah. And none of us watching the game the week prior knew that that had happened. But then we watched Hard Knocks and realized, man, that guy's really hurting yeah but he's out there and so the other aspect of this that uh, my reaction to this Adam Schefter tweet there's really no leverage in sitting out when your team is no good like it means a lot (sighs) to sit out when your team is counting on you like 
one of the most famous sit-outs I remember was Darrell Revis with the Jets. Remember mm. that? And it's like the Jets were counting on Revis. He was the best cover corner in the league. Right. If we're going to have any chance of competing this year, and I think that might have even been the Brett Favre year, if I remember right. But the point was they were planning on contending, winning games. This is a Cardinals team that, by a lot of people's accounts, is not going to be very good. I can't really name you anything uh, solid in their front seven. Their starting quarterback is likely to miss some time at the beginning of the season. Like, there's a lot of things going against this team. It doesn't mean they they can't win games. It's just that it, it's a much different conversation if Buda Baker is holding out from a team that just won the NFC West versus a team that's expected to be one of the worst in the NFL. Okay, I'll put the ball in the other court. How badly do you want Buda Baker on the Arizona Cardinals? Badly. I, I want him on the team. You want him badly? I want I him do. badly. How badly does Monty Austinfort want him on the Cardinals? I think they want him to. But do they want him bad enough that they are willing to basically cover the final two years of this contract that he's on and give him a little more money? Like, that's the question. How badly do you want Buda Baker on the Arizona Cardinals, Monty Austinfort? I know you want him enough to play out the rest of the contract that he's on, but how badly? Badly, do you really want Buda There's Baker? There's a lot of other factors here, too. Jalen Thompson's a really good safety in this league. Doesn't get enough credit for that, by the way. Mm-hmm. I think he's arguably maybe the next best player on their defense right now outside of Buda Baker. They have maybe a top five duo safety tandem. There's oh, a lot of really good safety tandems. It might be the tandems. best. It might be the best. It might be. In the whole league. And, and I don't think Thompson gets enough credit for that. Um, but you've got another great safety. Not that that fills the role of Baker, but oh, God, no. remember, no. they're rolling out Isaiah Simmons as a defensive back now. And I don't see him as a cover corner. No. Isaiah Simmons was primarily, he did a lot of things in college, but he was primarily a safety at Clemson. So if you're going to roll Isaiah Simmons out as a safety, now all of a sudden, I'm not saying that that's an upgrade over Buda Baker. It's certainly not. No. But if Baker's not going to be there for some reason, like a holdout, all of a sudden you do have another option. Not saying it's a better option or even close to as good of an option. Right. But you at least have another player there to take that spot. So now is a weird time to pay a safety extra cash because you've already got another really good one. You've got another guy that you're trying to make into a defensive back who has a ton of talent we can all acknowledge. It's a weird time to be demanding money for Buda Baker. It's it's We can all sit here and acknowledge that he probably deserves it based on how good he is. But it's just not a good time. I'm, I'm just generally speaking, I'm going to die on the hill of how badly do you want Buda Baker? And I argued that if you want him bad enough, you will treat him like he's your next Larry Fitzgerald. Sure. Larry Fitzgerald got hella overpaid in his final years with the Cardinals. Like 11 a year at the end. Buda Baker's nowhere near that point in his career. So why are we shunning him of what he rightfully deserves right now? That's basically why I'm frustrated with this whole situation. And the whole argument about, oh, it's not the time in the season when these, guy gets, these guys get paid. I know Gambo, when he does his reporting, he points it out all the time. Like, they don't normally get paid this time of year. It's, not usually okay, in July. Well, yeah. Why? You know? Like, why? Football's a year-round sport. It's become a year-round talking point. Why do we always have to wait until a certain point in the year for a guy to get a contract extension? Is that a rhetorical question, or do you want me to answer it? It could be both. So my direct answer is... There's nothing going on right now. They're not in camp. They're going to be very soon, and we're going to be out there, by the way, which is kind of cool. Um, but there is there is no holdout right now. Right now, Buda Baker is just saying, pay me more money. The Cardinals say, or what? 
And so, he says, so we're just supposed or to wait I'll for just him. stand here. So we're just supposed to wait for him and his inevitable holdout to actually pay. There has to be some sort of threat. There has to be, and I'm not saying in a bad way. I'm saying, like, there has to be something missing for the Cardinals. Him missing time uh, on the practice field. Missing games. These are the things that lead to people getting paid because the team feels the pressure. And if their best player on their defense isn't out there on the field, fans are going to start to not show up to those games. And not putting butts in the seats is kind of the, I mean, that's the business, is well, putting butts in the seats. Frankly, they're already on a pace of not getting a lot of butts in seats this year. It's fair. They haven't won a home game in like a year and a half. Who wants to go see your team lose when you know they're going to lose? That's that there. You mentioned getting paid. Last offseason, the big story with that and the Arizona Cardinals was Kyler Murray. And he eventually got his payday. He got his bag. Quarter of a billion. That year, last year... Ignore the money part of it. It was very, very rough. Not just for Kyler, but for the whole team, the whole organization. And obviously we're at the point we are now where they've basically started over. There was a very well-produced episode of Flight Plan, the uh, Cardinals, their miniseries that they do during the um, camp period offseason. And it was a very open Kyler Murray when he was talking to the producer of the uh, program and answering all these questions. The one quote that stuck out to a lot of people was this. Quote, I've got to respect the person or understand the ins and outs or the rhymes and reasons for what we are doing. I'm going to listen. I'm going to be coachable and I'm going to do it to the best of my ability. But if the bleep ain't working at some point, we all have to look in the mirror. Some people took that as, ooh, okay, sounds like he's growing up. Other people, including who you're about to hear in this next soundbite, did not take it the same way. You know, I think in terms of quarterback speak, Colin, you know, what he said, um, you know, you don't love it just because of the same point. Uh, when he added the word but in generally behind a positive, the word but does not end in a positive light. So I certainly didn't want to hear that. And nor do fans want to hear a guy who's making $46.1 million a year um, blame anybody but himself. And I'm not saying cut. Uh, that he's a, he's a guy that blames people. Yet at the same time, you know, everybody, when you get that, that bag of cash, everybody expects you to take it on your shoulders. And, uh, and that's what a franchise quarterback does. What I heard from Kyler Murray was, listen, I'll take the brunt of it, but I ain't the only problem in this building. Mm -hmm. I wasn't the only issue here. Right. There were some other things going on that hopefully we are now past. Now, what is that? That's Steve Kime. So, of course, Steve Kime would be a little bit butthurt when hearing that soundbite from Kyler Murray, so where he basically says, well, but there were some other things going wrong. Steve Kime acknowledges he's talking about me. It's a weird thing to bring up the amount of money that he's getting paid as a reason for why you don't want your quarterback to talk the way you were. Um, interesting to hear that coming from the dude that paid him. Yeah. Right. The guy who signed the other guy who signed the contract. Yeah, listen, in a, in some ways, Steve Kime is right. Like, it usually behooves the player to take the brunt of it and not blame other people. And I don't sure. think that Kyler blamed a lot of people there. He did, certainly didn't name names, but we can all kind of read between the lines here. Um, he's right, though. Kyler is. Steve Kime is to blame for a lot of what went down. I mean, Kyler got better every single year. Did Kime? Did Kime get better? Look at the draft track record. It ain't great. I mean, there's a reason Steve Kime is, uh, what is this, the Colin Cowherd show? There's yeah. a reason he's on Fox Sports now and not running an organization. No offense to the guy. But also, too, keep in mind, Kyler's been pretty clean throughout his entire time with the Cardinals. 
Steve Keim had some off the fields. Uh, I say off the field as if he's a player. <laughs> you know what I mean? Outside of the organization, yeah. it wasn't the cleanest track record. You're always going to get some leeway when you're the starting quarterback and you do make that kind of money in a way that a general manager might not. I understand Steve Keim didn't like hearing that, but I think Kyler was right. It just felt like a lot of pot calling kettle black in the end. Coming up next, the Diamondbacks. Ugh. Are they going to fix this problem that they have? We'll tell you what that problem is next on Arizona Sports Saturday. Mitch and Steve on Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. MLB trade deadline just a couple of days away. A little more than a week away. So the Diamondbacks have a little bit of time to figure out what they're going to do. Now... The difficult thing is when you start to get around the trade deadline, how your team is performing plays a pivotal role in what you end up doing. We know this to be true of teams that are trying to figure out, are we buyers or sellers? We've thought for a long time that the Diamondbacks are likely to be buyers. But does that change at all because of the way that the Toronto series went down, where you lose all three games, or um, the way that the Braves series ended transitioning into what happened in the Reds game yesterday? Where do the Diamondbacks currently sit in their plans for attacking the trade deadline? I don't think it can change. You were a buyer going into the All-Star break. Granted, you ended on a kind of a flat note losing that game to the Pirates. But you were a buyer going into the break. And I don't think that motivation can change just because you've come out of the break and you only have two wins out of, what, seven Seven games games now? Yeah, you're two and five out of the break. Not a great way to start out of the break if you were trying to convince your team or you're trying to convince your front office that you're worthy of continuing to fight the good fight, however I should properly phrase that. I I think Mike Hazen needs to look at it the same way that he looked at it before, and that is we're buyers, we're going to buy, and we're going to remain competitive in a division where we actually have a shot still of winning this division. There's just one problem. The Dodgers did not come slow out of the break. The Dodgers, they put a whooping on the Texas Rangers last night, on the road no less, a Rangers team that's really, really good at home and really, really good at scoring runs. They failed to do both last night against the Dodgers. The Dodgers are getting their their bleep together, and they're now back in first place. It's daunting. I get it. But that can't be the reason that you're scared off from doing something Maybe a little more aggressive at the deadline this time around. Yeah, I think if anything, here's how my mindset has changed in the last couple of weeks. Because the Diamondbacks, their offense was abysmal going into the the All-Star break. Like you mentioned, they're 2-5 and five since coming out. So it's been a rough stretch. I think if anything, this is how I would change it. A couple of weeks ago, I would have been all for them going for a big splash trade. Getting, uh, you know, Marcus Stroman's been a top five pitcher in baseball this year. Mm -hmm. If you could pluck him from the Cubs, do it. If you could get a former Cy Young winner with an extra year of control like a Corbin Burns or a Shane Bieber, do it. I would have been fine with that a couple of weeks ago. Now I look at it and I think maybe instead of that, what you'll end up seeing is more complimentary pieces coming in. Now, what I mean by that is uh, a couple guys who are expiring deals who are just going to serve you for the next couple months, but they'll also cut much, much cheaper. So you're not sacrificing your future. You're probably trading a handful of uh, lower round or lower prospects in your system. Uh, and because we haven't seen a lot of trades yet, but there's two that I'll mention really quick to prove my point. 
Aroldis Chapman got traded from the Royals to the Rangers. That's a big name, certainly at the end tail end of his career. Feels like the Diamondbacks could have made that trade if they wanted to as well. The Royals got two prospects in return who were not in the top 30 in the Rangers system. That's my point. Shintaro Fujinami went from the A's to the Orioles. Now, Fujinami was atrocious early in the season as a starting pitcher in Oakland. He got roughed up so many times early in the season that his ERA was in the eight or nines, I think, at one Still point. Still is. Still is. <laughs> because of that. Yeah. But since he's been put in the bullpen, and in his last 18 innings or so, he's had an ERA in the two and a half range. He's been quite good in the bullpen. Mm-hmm. And now he's going to Baltimore, where he doesn't even have to be a top two reliever. He's going from the worst team in the American League to the second best team in the American League. I have to imagine that some sort of boost will be given to Fujinami as a result of that. The prospect that the Oakland A's got back, not in the top 30 of the Baltimore Orioles. Because Fujinami was playing poorly enough that his value was completely gone. My point is, maybe there's some guys out there that you can go and get without giving up significant prospect capital. Because... Stroman, let's be honest, even though he's a rental, Stroman's one of the top five pitchers in the game of baseball this year. Probably had an argument to start the All-Star game at one point. And if you want to go get that guy from Tom Ricketts, you're probably going to have to start that conversation with Jordan Lawler, one of your top prospects, your very top prospect. So can we do just like the general, like how much are you willing to give up right now? Sure. So Mike Hazen was on with Wolf and Luke earlier in the week, and he... He kind of said it truly enough. You have to balance where we are in the standings and then how much we are willing to give up. It's always a balance for us where we stand. It, it, that, that there's like going, shoving all in. If you're the fifth or sixth team in, um, you know, there's degrees to how you want to you want to quantify that. Um, but I, I think, you know, it depends on what's going to be available to us and what, what, what we have the ability to do. But I think improving our pitching is going to be a focus. So if he wants to improve pitching... There has to be a way that you can do that if if you're not going to go the all-in route. And I know some people are very much do not go all-in. I feel like what's the point of not going all-in if you think you're good enough to compete this year? Are you willing to give up what it takes in order to get better? Or, to these two trades that you just brought up, do you think you can get away with getting someone who has a slightly inflated ERA... Or because they're on a crappier team, maybe they're willing to take a discount on a trade. Yeah, I just don't think the big splash is there. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe maybe they do end up going the big splash route. Um, but I just can't see it. Some of the guys who would be big splashes, I mean, there's just a lot of money there. I mean, like a Max Scherzer but, reunion okay, would so cost you 40 to $60 million. I think, the, on, I think the heavy money deals are out of the question. Right, so that's but, gone. But so here's my argument. The Philadelphia Phillies last year made it all the way to the World Series. Do you remember what seed they were in the National League? I don't. Six. Were they a wild card? Oh, okay. They were on the road as a wild card team, okay. beat the Cardinals in the three games, and then went all the way to the World Series as an eight seed. Sure. Just barely above 80 wins in the regular yeah, season. Yeah, it happens. The Atlanta Braves in 2021. Do you remember what they were at the trade deadline? I don't. They were under 500 at the trade deadline. I want to say the Nationals were like one of the worst teams in baseball. It was it was notable because after World Memorial Series. Day, they cruised in 2019. Yeah. yeah. What I'm trying to emphasize here is maybe you can't use the full season as an encapsulation of how you're going to do in the postseason. Why? Because teams have gone into the postseason with poorer regular season records, but because they tried hard at the deadline and revamped their roster in the final two months, 
They pushed all the way to the World Series, some of them even winning the World Series. Now, but for as many examples as you just provided of teams that can go further than you even expect by making aggressive moves, there's also examples of teams that were crippled by the moves that they decided to make trying to contend for one season. It goes both ways. All point to the Oakland A's, who made a move. They were they were competitive, which occasionally they were in the 2010s, and they made a move for John Lester, where they emptied out the farm system for John Lester and a couple other names. I, I can't remember. Was that a Samarja year? I can't remember. But they, they brought in a bunch of dudes, and John Lester was kind of the premier piece. And he pitched fine for Oakland, if I remember right, but they didn't win anything. No, they lost in the wildcard game. And what have they done since? And well, I'm not saying that's all because of the John Lester I, the, trade. The A's are a very sensitive case because everybody's just blaming their owner right now. Oh, I get it. I think there's I think a lot it, of blame in that organization. The, look, so there are organizations that go about it the right way and there's organizations that's, that don't, right? If you think about, say, the Yankees, the Yankees are never going to commit to a sell. One year they did because they knew that they were far enough out of it that they were not going to get there. But the Yankees pride themselves on the ability to bring in big names, spend a lot of money, and push to get in the postseason. But it's not paid off for them, and their farm system is now weaker as a result of it. You can say the same about the Atlanta Braves. The Atlanta Braves roster is really, really good right now. They're the best team in baseball. They don't have anything in the minors that they can really afford to give up to make their team better. So maybe because of that, this is a reason for you to pounce, because you do have the ability to give up Players who you don't know how they're going to be at the big league level for help right now to try and win right now. Who's to say that you're going to be this good again as soon as next year? You want to pounce now or do you want to take the risk and pounce later? It's a conversation they're having right now down at Chase Field, I'm sure, or one that they've had for quite a while now. But I'll tell you what, I have an idea in my head. It's a trade that you can make. The, The Diamondbacks really, the way I see it, they have three needs. And I think that they can cover all three of them with one trade. So I'm going to pitch you on that idea coming up next. But also, the Diamondbacks now being linked to a multi-time Cy Young winner. Maybe that's more your speed. I'll tell you what that's all about coming up next on Arizona Sports Saturday. Mitch Vareldis, Steve Zinsmeister, Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. us, Mitch Vareldis, Steve Zinsmeister. We're here in the Oxygen Community Studios on this Saturday. Jesse Morrison behind the glass. Yo. What's up? Um, the Diamondbacks, we just talked about it in the last segment as to like how much should they go in if they're trying to improve at the deadline. All signs indicate that they should improve at the deadline. All signs indicate that they will make a trade at the deadline. How much? How little? We don't know. We don't know that yet. We do know what positions they should start with, Steve. You had teased, however, that there is a recent connection, a uh, multi-Cy Young connection. So it sounds yeah. like starting pitching help. Uh, what you got there? Yeah, does that sound more your speed, bringing in a multi-time Cy Young winner? There's a handful of them. I mean, it depends. There's a couple of it those depends. guys. There's a lot of multi-Cy Youngs. So you had mentioned earlier in the show yesterday, uh, J.P. Morosi, MLB Network, tweeted out that he had heard the Giants are among the teams evaluating Justin Verlander as a trade deadline candidate, should he be willing to waive his no trade clause. That's a big if. Uh, he Massive. gets to decide where he goes. There's a lot of money involved. <laughs> 40, There's Steve Cohen involved. In a year. Oh, boy. Uh, so that's the Giants. 
That got retweeted uh, just a little while ago by Jim Bowden, former MLB GM. Jimmy B. Does a great show on, I think it's still on SiriusXM. Jim Bowden, former GM, keep that in mind, mm-hmm. tweeted this. Keep in mind, Verlander has complete control not only if he is traded, but where he is traded. Hashtag, I'm going to list a bunch of hashtags here. That's a lot. Hashtag Giants, hashtag Dodgers, hashtag Reds, hashtag Yankees, hashtag Rays, hashtag Blue Jays, hashtag Diamondbacks. (laughs) He also notes, in addition, I can't see a pathway for the Mets trading Verlander to the Giants unless Kyle Harrison is the return being brought back. Uh, bringing back memories of Beltron Wheeler swap several years ago. Well, so that I've, part's not so much important to the Diamondbacks. Well, I've got bad news in that terms. It sounds like Kyle Harrison may or may not be out for the rest of the well, year. Well, that the might Giants. be bad for the Giants. Might make things a little more difficult for them. However, that doesn't make things difficult for the Diamondbacks. So, but what am I to read into this? Forty-three million dollars a year. I could imagine Steve Cohen helping to solve some of that. Okay, but okay. Not all of it. Look, we're literally going to have a segment coming up talking about Shohei Otani. So I know this is going to sound stupid the way I say it right now. But you are literally eating Madison Bumgarner dollars. And now you're trying to convince me that 43 million in a year is a good idea for a guy that's going to be 41 next year. I think they're still eating Zach Greinke dollars, too. Oh, my gosh. I'd have to look that up. By uh, by the way, I looked. There's a vested option on Verlander's contract if he throws at least 140 innings in 2024. So that would mean if Verlander is healthy enough to make it through the 24 season and say he's on the Diamondbacks, his vested option in 25 kicks in for $35 million. In 2025. Yeesh. Which, by the way, is about when the time that Corbin Carroll starts to get getting paid all of his money. Yeesh. So, back to the Bowden tweet for a second. So. He names, what is that, seven teams in hashtag form. He does not say these are the teams that have reached out. He does not say these are the teams that are interested. He does but, not say these are the teams that want Verlander. But, but that's kind of what we're led to believe, why right? Why put the team in hashtags if you're not implying anything? I'm having a Brian Windhorse moment here. Why would Jim Bowden do that? <laughs> why would he tweet the he's Diamondbacks pointing, on He's there? pointing the fingers, ladies and gentlemen. It's he's like, leaning back in the chair. It's like earlier this week, uh, J.P. Morosi also reported that Lucas Giolito had been checked in on we find out that the Diamondbacks had checked in on Giolito. Mm-hmm. I'm here to tell you that the Diamondbacks should be checking in on everybody. Yes. I mean, they should be looking at all options. It doesn't mean that it's a viable option. So they might have checked in on Verlander and found out, hey, you're going to be on the hook for all the money. Oh, okay, well, we can't do that. To a point, they should, yes. Here's the right. issue with Giolito. There's two things. One, it's a rental. Yeah. Albeit a relatively... Pretty good one. Reasonable rental. Yeah, he's having a nice bounce back season after a 19 all-star campaign, a, a no hitter in 2020. But he's kind of he's kind of come down to earth a little bit as of late. He's not like a blow you away starter or anything like that. But he would most certainly be an upgrade over. He'd be a good three. He'd be a, most certainly an upgrade over like a Zach Davies, for example. Yeah. But as I said, he's a non-controllable rental. So it's either you would convince him to stay afterwards or you pay him the remaining of his 10.4. And say so long. He would probably cost a lot less than like a Dylan Cease That's from the, the White Sox. That's the second part of it. Well, yes and no. The second part of it is Gambo has put it out there that he's hearing that the White Sox would want a package centered around Brandon Fott. Why wouldn't they? But would you give that up for two months of Lucas Giolito? And that's... Um, I think about question. it, and at the same time, I wonder why would this be a good thing? 
I think it I have. could be a good thing because we've seen quite a few starts from Brandon Fott at the big league level, and none of them have gone well. No. He's starting again today, by the way. That Got was recalled. confirmed by the team. He'll start again today. Maybe he'll have a nice bounce back performance against the Reds in a very tough pitcher's ball in a very tough hitter's ballpark, I should say. Tough for pitchers. But are you willing to give up that much control over who is presumed to be your next best pitching prospect for a guy that could be here for as much as AC Preps Live is a production of Arizona. Could be here for as much as two months, and then next thing you know, he's gone. And now you're kind of like starting over again. Is that worth it to you? Are you willing to be patient with Fott, or are you going to go aggressive right now? I've had more faith in Brandon Fott than probably the average D-backs fan, because the average D-backs fan didn't know who the guy was until he got to Chase Field. You know what I mean? And so, like, all you know is the lack of success he's had at the major league level. I'm kind of a nerd when it comes to prospects and, like, guys in the minors, so I follow that probably a little more closely than I should. You and I Um, both, yeah. So, like, we're very familiar with the success that he's had at the minor league level, which is unbelievable. It's astounding to me that every every week there's, like, a Reno Aces tweet, a nice little graphic, and it's like, Fought dominates again. It's like... Can we can we please get this to the major league level? Right. There's such a, a dichotomy between what you see at the major league level and what you see at AAA. And by the way, it's hard to pitch at AAA Reno. At the like that's a hard place to dominate. Yeah. There's a lot of high elevation stadiums, locations. They et have three or four like high level prospects at Reno right now, and none of them are really pitching that well statistically, except for Brandon Fought. He's been fantastic. He's yes. earned every opportunity he's gotten at the major league level. It just doesn't go well when he gets there. And there's several reasons for that. I think his fastball's been a little flat when he's been pitching at the major league level. The the slider is a dominant pitch, but he just hasn't gotten guys to swing and miss as much as he could because he's not setting it up well with the fastball. He's given up way too many home runs. That's something that he's going to have to fix. Yeah, definitely. Um so for me, no, I'd rather I'd rather tough it out with Brandon Fought. I think he's got a real future and he's got five years of control left. Six, almost six full years of control left. But here's here's what I would like to avoid, and I and I'm in agreement with you that I don't think giving up fought for a pack, giving up fought in a package for Lucas Giolito is necessarily the best course of action. I don't think that's smart. But I don't like the whole argument of this team is a year early. They shouldn't be making moves like that right now. What? I don't think Giolito is like one of those moves where I'm like blown away. Like it's too early to no, do this. No, I think a Corbin Burns or a Shane Bieber at, at one point in time before he hit the IL. I think those would have been because you would have been giving up big prospect packages. Like but, it would have started with Fought and sure. Lawler and Drew Jones and he, all that kind of stuff. Here's what I mean about the whole. I don't like the whole we're a year too early argument. Use that argument in terms of I don't want to get a non-controlled asset and have to give up potential pieces that could help me when I can't spend a lot of money in the offseason. But don't use it in terms of, hey, we might be able to get Justin Verlander and it would give up Brandon Fott. Yeah. Like, that, I don't think it qualifies or it helps that argument as much because you're still getting a year of control at least after that. So if you're going to give up one of your best prospects for a guy you're only going to get for two months, you better believe in the quality of your team right now because otherwise, then I agree. I don't think it's worth it. But I don't like the whole statement of we're a year too early. Because guess what? You might not have that year next year. Sure. You might be early. It might feel early. I get that. But you might stink next year. Look at the San Diego Padres. They're like eight games under 500. Think about all the money they spent this offseason after literally making the National League Championship Series last year. 
So there is a way that the Diamondbacks could address all three of their primary needs with one trade. Okay. I'm not talking about Shohei Otani. I'm not talking about that. Okay. I Although that knocks out two positions that they need. I, I understand that. And he would solve a lot of problems for a lot of teams. Don't get me wrong. But oh, that's yeah. not what I'm talking about here. We're going to talk about that later. Okay. Um, I think because you need starting pitching, you need relief help, you need a right-handed outfield bat is something that Gambo has reported that the Diamondbacks are interested in pursuing. Yes. Pick up the phone and call the St. Louis Cardinals and get all three. Here's what you do. Jordan Montgomery to start? You get Jordan Montgomery, who's an expiring contract. Yep. I think he would be relatively cheap based on the prices we talked about for the two trades that have already happened, Fujinami and Aroldis Chapman. Neither team gave up a top 30 prospect, top 30 in their system Mm -hmm. for either of those guys. So I think you could get Jordan Montgomery comparable price. Yes. Jordan Hicks, he's a reliever, also an expiring deal, throws 103 on occasion. Strami's going to love that. Just can't aim it. (laughs) So it's an experiment. Don't get me wrong. But you get both of those guys, and then you add Tyler O'Neill, a guy who's a right-handed hitting outfielder, tons of speed, tons which, we of know, speed. which we know they like. He's got raw power, which we know is something they could certainly use in this lineup. That, I could feel really comfortable with him hit, sitting, hitting I'm, six or seven. I mean, look at that dude. Have you seen him? Yeah. He's jacked. His yeah. dad's like a bodybuilder. Two years ago, Tyler O'Neill hit 34 home runs. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying he comes in and does that again. And by the way, you would have an extra year of control over him next season as well. Mm -hmm. So if you could throw a trade of the two Jordans, Montgomery and Hicks, and then Tyler O'Neill, package them all together, I think you could reasonably get those guys by moving a couple of your, like, 8, 9, 10 best prospects. Mm -hmm. I mean, I could name names if you want. Yu Min Lin could go. Uh, Blake Walston's another pitcher that could go. I'm not giving up thought, I don't think, in this deal. Um, you could move Blaze Alexander is an infielder who's probably blocked at most positions by Cattell Marte, probably. by Perdomo, by Lawler, by a couple guys at third base. I think you could put together a decent package centered around pitching prospects because that's what St. Louis needs. And I think you could get all three things you're looking for, albeit they're not the sexiest pieces, but you can get all three from the St. Louis Cardinals. I like that. I just wonder how much you're going to give up if you're asking for all three. I get I'm it. thinking non-controllable players, right? All of them are going into contract seasons after this. But if you're going to be asked to give up next to nothing for one of those individually, what are you going to be asked to give up for all three together? I think you could do it here really quickly. I wrote this okay. down. Blaze Alexander is your eighth best prospect in the system. Slade Ciccone, ninth best. Yu Min Lin, tenth best. Bryce Jarvis, twenty fourth best. So I've got four That's guys, the package three I'm guys doing. for the rest of this year. Three pitchers and an infielder who's blocked here. Now, granted, they have a lot of infielders, they've got, too. They've got Mason Wynn, and that dude is ridiculous. It's an idea. Coming up next, I'm going to pivot on you, Steve, because I think we have a development in this whole Buddha Baker showing up to training camp in a couple of days. We'll tell you what it is next on Arizona Sports Saturday. Mitch Ferreldis, Steve Zinsmeister, Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Oh, yeah, of course. I'll be there when it's time to be there. Um, so, you know, when it's time to be there, I'll be there smiling. Same same regular guy that I am. And, uh, you know, just excited to see those guys again. Is that so? Buddha Baker, as he told Cam Cox back at the end of May, Cam Cox of Channel 12, well, here's what Buda Baker said today, Steve, on his own Twitter account. I just sit back and let them spew fake news. 
Self-control is a deeply desired attribute to have. Peace emoji. Something tells me that I don't think Buddha's coming to training camp or he doesn't like the way that Adam Schefter worded his reporting from an hour ago. So what is the fake news part? Well, let's let's reassess what Schefter said. Schefter said uh, Baker, who did not get the trade that he requested this offseason, but still is seeking to be paid near the top of the safety market. Is it that portion or is expected to report to training camp with the rest of his teammates Tuesday? Yeah, my guess is he's not responding. The fake news he's referring to, I'm guessing, is not the part where Schefter says I'll be he'll be back for training camp. That would be weird, right? If we, we came well, out and said, well, it looks like Buda Baker will be back for camp. And Buda Baker goes, fake news. Like, that's weird. So I, mean, I think it's, it's got to be about the money. Of course, it's weird, but he's trying to create leverage. It's got to be about the money. So you think the way Schefter phrased, and I will add, this is an edited tweet by Schefter. I will add that he said he requested this off. He requested the trade this offseason, but still is seeking to be paid near the top of the safety market. Do you think Baker took issue with that part of it? Is that what you're saying? I don't know. Maybe Uh, it's so weird because there's really not a lot of news here. We kind of already knew Buda Baker would be there at camp. You just played the soundbite. Like he said he'd be there. Why is he doing this? I don't know. Why is he going out there and saying maybe he just doesn't like being talked about vaguely fake news, blah, 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 blah. I don't know. I mean, if you go back to his Twitter account, he still doesn't reference the Arizona Cardinals in his bio, something which he did reference back as soon as January of this year. Self-control is a deeply desire attribute to have. I'm sure he those are his words. I'm sure he meant desired. I guess. Yeah. I don't know what he's I don't really understand what he's referring to. It sounds like he's just trying to keep the peace. There's literally a peace sign Uh, trying to keep the peace, but also saying he's tired of the fake news. Yeah. At the same time that somebody puts out a report with his name on it. Well, and how can is it, he just doing this to be cheeky or come on? Like, how can he put the, this out with intention? How can the money part be fake news when we heard the sound? But I remember when they talked about the uh, there was the clip you played me a couple weeks ago that was basically from his agent. I think it was something on NFL Network on Good Morning Football where they talked about, you know, he wants to be paid like a top safety in the league. Oh, what Garofolo's report was. Mike yes. Garofolo. Yeah. yeah. And so we basically said, like, OK, it, it's a weird leverage play to say, like, well, he'll be there, but also he wants to be paid like a top five safety. So then what about... He doesn't want to be a part of a rebuild, but he wants to be paid like a top five safety. So then if he's not talking about Schefter's report, because I guess that would imply that nothing that Schefter reported is incorrect, what is Baker upset about? Unless there's something that we said that he's reacting to on Twitter, but I can't imagine Buddha, that's Buddha, if you're listening, uh, just call us. We uh, both love you. I yeah, mean, or just send us a DM on Twitter. I don't know. Look, it's very confusing that he would go out and put this out there at about the same-ish time that Schefter put out his original report about Buddha. Right. So it's either it's either that Buddha doesn't want to show up to camp because he's going to hold out and he's going to sacrifice the dollars that it's going to take when he holds out, or he doesn't want it out there that he wants to be paid among the top safeties in the league, or he doesn't want it out there that he's going to be at camp because he had already told people that he was going to be at camp months ago when he told their local news station. Yeah. Something's not lining up with yeah. this. It's very confusing. Just had to bring that up because I'm not know, sure what, athlete, he's, what he's pointing to. Athletes and social media is our favorite thing to talk about in sports radio, isn't it? Not sure what he's pointing to here. A mirror? No, probably not a mirror.
But yeah, had to pass that along to you. Also want to pass along this, pivoting uh, really quickly. Bull Bull. Generational highlight package, I guess you could say. The on-the-court stuff, if you watch more and more closely, it's... I don't know. It's kind of confounding. Burns and Gamble were talking with a uh, radio host from Orlando earlier this week and somebody who watches the Magic closely. And there was a period of time where Bull Bull, he was in the rotation and then suddenly he was out of the rotation without really any explanation. Next thing you know, he's waved and now he's in Phoenix. And I don't know. I don't think I've asked you, Steve. Are you excited about this signing? Like, about do you think Bull? It's, yeah. Do you think yeah. it's going to lead to something? Well, on the one hand, how, how do you not get excited about somebody with as much raw physical ability signing a mine like a minimum contract? Sure. That's pretty ridiculous to me. It doesn't happen in most markets. I don't think Bull Bull would have gone damn near anywhere else on the minimum. I wonder if he thinks he like, does he think he could have gotten more money elsewhere? I don't know if that option was out there for him. Um, Maybe. And it, that's something that a lot of these players probably weighed. Kata Bates Diop probably weighed that. I think he probably could have gotten more than the minimum somewhere else. He probably could have gotten mid-level exceptions somewhere. Eric sure. Gordon, we know for a fact, could have gotten he more money elsewhere. Declined like what, 28? So I think it's less about could they have gotten that money elsewhere and more about why did they choose to come to Phoenix for that? Because a lot of these are prove-it deals, right? They're one-year minimum deals or one year with a player option attached to it, which essentially gives them a no-trade clause as well. So they're stuck here in Phoenix, and that's a good thing for both sides um, because you're getting more than your money necessarily is paying for in Bull Bull and Kata Bates-Diop and all those other guys, but you also don't have the long-term security of locking those players up. They could be gone in a year if they play well and earn a contract elsewhere like a Bruce Brown did yeah. uh, with the Pacers. And so, I think that's kind of the motivation for the players. Is that yeah. You can opt out and they're banking get on your that. big bag. Yeah. So I love that aspect of it. Do um, you think that Bull Bull is better than Victor Wembanyama? <laughs> oh, or do you want me to just play the cut? Uh, play the clip and I'll tell you how I feel this about it. This is Tim Hardaway Sr. on the Carton Show on Fox Sports earlier this week. And I think he's better than Victor Wembanyama or whatever okay. his name is. Wembanyama, Wembanyama, Bull Bull has better physical talent and ready to play in the NBA right now than Victor is. Um, what? See, it's tough because it sounds so outrageous to listen to it. There are elements of it that I understand where he's going with it. I don't think he packaged that the correct way. Can can Bull Bull shoot a three-pointer, miss, and then get his own rebound and slam it home? Has Bull Bull done that? I'm very curious. Most people don't even try to do that, for what it's worth. And Victor's doing it at freaking 18 years old. Yeah. So the first, Come on, the first thing I would that. say is Bull Bull does not have the three-point range that Victor Wembanyama He can does. shoot threes. He doesn't have the range, though. I agree right. with you on that. So, I mean, like the last two seasons, um, so in Orlando, he shot 27% from three. He shot 25 the year before that. However, in very small spurts in Denver's first two seasons, he shot pretty well from beyond the arc. So maybe they were just wide open because nobody expected him to take them. Yeah. Um, but I would give Victor Wembanyama that advantage. Mobility, I do think Wembenyama has a little bit more mobility, but these are two guys who are seven foot three and seven foot five, respectively. Um, any mobility for those guys is pretty significant in a league like this. Of course. Here's where I do think Hardaway could be kind of onto something. Bull Bull has performed the way he has at the NBA level. We just haven't seen Wembenyama at the NBA level. We all think it's going to be great. 
We all think he's going to fit in just fine. But it's probably going to be. Yeah, and he probably will. And I think I fully expect that by the end of the season, Victor Wembanyama will have had the better year than Bull Bull. I totally expect that. For a lot of reasons, key among them is the fact that Wembanyama is going to be a primary option on a team that's not very good. Yes. Maybe they're significantly better with him, but I, I don't expect him to be a playoff team even necessarily. He's going to be a primary option. Bull Bull is not a primary option. No. At this point, he's not even a starter. He's just on the team. So we're talking about a guy who scored nine points a game last year, six rebounds per game. So this is this is a role player. Yes. Do I think he's better than Victor Wembanyama? No, I don't. I think that's the part that Hardaway gets wrong. Um, but could I understand what he's saying about he's already been performing against NBA talent? Yeah, uh, I, I get mean, that. There's no denying that whatsoever. No, no one knock guy, against the French one league. One guy has played in the ML or the MLB. One guy has played in the NBA. One guy hasn't. Yeah, I, that's it. That's I the get argument. where he's coming from, but, it, but that's a dumb, it's not right. That's a dumb-based argument. I'm sorry. It's, I'm with you. It's coming up next. Asinine. Should the Arizona Diamondbacks just go all in? Should they do it? Go for Shohei Otani. We're going to debate that next. Coming up on Arizona Sports Saturday.